that's the key to a ham is you know go to your butcher and, and find the best leg you can with as much fat in it as possible you, you want to eat that fat you know that's just the best part of the ham and then make sure you don't overcook it so it's not too dry this is the crackling i'm anthony huckstep Paddock to plate ethos seems almost commonplace these days, but there are some that have fostered a greater connection to those that produce our food and those that cook it long before it was widespread. Matt Moran is one of Australia's most influential chefs and restaurateurs and a firm believer in the ethos. But he's also a fourth generation farmer who over the years has developed an even greater connection with the land and now he's even farming pigs. Matt, you're one of Australia's most celebrated chefs, but you're also a fourth-generation farmer. Tell us about that. Yeah, look, it, it, it is, um, and it, it's kind of a it's, – it's a funny one because, you know, I got into cooking when we weren't living in the country. Um, you know, we came from – I was born in Tamworth, and then we had a dairy farm at Badgerys Creek, and then we weren't living on the farms, and I was going to school in, in Seven Hills, which is near Blacktown, and um, – you know, it's kind of funny. Dad bought a little place near uh, Taralga, um, and then we started going back there every weekend. And you know, then he bought another place, and now we've got the the bigger place, which is now my place. Dad's actually um, moved off the the farm, and he's sort of trying to trying to go through re- retirement. Um, but you know, it, farming. Um, has become a massive part of of my life, and it's kind of. It's kind of funny that, you know, going through COVID and everything and, and spending a bit more time at the farm and, and now buying the Rockley Pub, um, which we're, we're hoping to, to get open by Easter. We're renovating it. Um, and, you know, having a lot more to do with the farm and, and being out there a lot more. And, and I've got a, a, new, a new guy who's starting in January. He's going to be the farm manager. And we've got all these great ideas that we want to do um, with the with the farm and and uh, you know commercialise a little bit in, in a sense, but also you know be very careful and very mindful of, of what we do and how we how we run our animals and and uh, and how it all sort of swings back into into the restaurants. Um, hence why we started doing pigs. You've been a driving force for for many years for on paddock to plate. Um, and the ethos behind that, when, when did that sort of spark for you and become really important to what you do? Look, I, I think, you know, I think it happened a lot earlier than I thought it did, you know, and the reason being is that I know that we did it pretty tough on the land and, you know, and then sort of, you know, being a chef and, and seeing, um, you know, prices that were were around, you know, 20 years ago and how cheap lamb was and how cheap beef was and 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 knowing how hard the farmers worked and and how much they put into it. And even my father, for the, for that instance, you know, how hard he worked and, and uh, you know, the, the, the big guys would come in, you know, the, the supermarket chains and they used to buy, buy stuff from the paddock from us and, and just say, well, we'll give you this. And there was no real bargaining with it all it was just like you know that that's what you get in bad luck and and then you know walking into a, a supermarket and seeing the prices that they were charging and think god someone's making a lot of money out of this and it's not the bloody farmer um hence why you know i really wanted to make that tv series paddock to play which you know i was part of the 
part of the you know um, production and, and ownership of it. And uh, we even had someone actually come along and want to sponsor it and give us all this money. And and I'm like, hey guys, we we, we can't do that. And I said we're we're about to make a TV show promoting. Don't get me wrong, I, I'd like to make money, and it would have it would have given me a, a lot of money also, you know, as a as an ambassador for them. And I won't say who it was because I don't think it's fair because we turned it down. Um, but you know, here I was about to make a, a TV show. A, showcasing you know these beautiful farmers and and you know how passionate they are and, and how much they uh they you know love what they do and um at the same time you know uh, about to take money off someone that's actually screwing them and i just thought i can't do that you know just it's just not in my ethos to to um you know um you know take some money from someone and and then promote the farmers that are getting ripped off you know a great example was there was a guy that i met uh, in South Australia, who was growing avocados, but he he had all these um, pumpkins, you know. That I mean, tons of them, and he was growing them, and you know, they were all picked, and they're all sitting in these these um, crates. And I said, "Oh, you know what's happening?" And he said, "I just sold them." He said, "You know, I got stuck with them, and you know, I had so many of them." And you know, I asked one of the big guys if they wanted to buy some, and they said, came out and they said, "Look, you know what? We'll do your deal." Um, and we'll, we'll special them in Adelaide in all the stores and we'll give you 39 cents a kilo for them, but you have to pay for the freight. And then he went in the next week, and, yes, they were specialing them, you know, special pumpkins, you know, special price, $2.39. <laughs> so they were making 2 bucks a kilo. He was making 39 cents, but he had to pay for the freight. Um, and then I think... I think it just really got my back up and just really, you know, wanted to champion, you know, the, the, the farmer as much as I possibly could, um, knowing that we had hardship and, and knowing how, how hard they do it, um, you know, and I just on I was I did a show recently, uh, an ancestry show, and I, I was out near Forbes and on the Lachlan there, and, and my family actually lived out there on my mother's side, which were my four times Grand, great grandfather lived out there in the in the 1860s and uh, 1850s I think it was and they were farmers also um, so it goes back lineage you know everywhere well look my whole family history is is I thought you know when I did this show I might have been related to Ned Kelly or some king in Ireland but we were all convicts and um, and uh, so there's a there's a long history of convicts who obviously got into farming because there's nothing else, particularly the Irish, because um, the Irish weren't seen as as uh, first class citizens; they were pretty much scum. And uh, you know they they're all out here being convicts, but all they ever did was just stole food to survive. And it's funny because one of my ancestors that came out on a boat um, stole. Um, a bit of pork. <laughs> so it's it's come round full circle. Not that I not that I stole my pigs, but you know, um, you know, I do I do love I do love a bit of bacon actually. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, you know, the paddock to plate thing is really important to me. It's probably just as important as anything else now because you know I'm heavily into farming more so than ever, and uh, you know, buying the the little country pub out there near the farm and. And uh, and about to renovate it and open it, and, and I really want to do more on the farm to service that pub. But not only that, I'm really keen on the locals out there of using whatever I possibly can. And you know, this little country town doesn't have a lot going for it now. But you know, I'd love to see a farmers market and, and get all the guys that are selling. There's a lot of fruit and veg growing growing out in that area. You know, along the Macquarie River. Um, 
you know, a little place called the Lagoon, uh, which is on the Campbell's River there, and, and they irrigate. And there's still guys out there growing cauliflowers and cabbages and and uh, and bits and pieces. So, you know, rather than those guys sort of selling to, to whoever they are, you know, maybe starting a little farmer's market out there once a month and, and getting people from Bathurst and Orange and Oberon to, to come in and, and buy stuff straight from the guy. And as, you know, I think I've told you this before, when you when you're actually talking to the farmer and you're hearing his story and him talking about how he grows it and how he nurtures it and how he produces it, you take it home and you cook it, it just tastes a little bit better. And there's no question. And, you know, I think that's the romance in, in food and, you know, I'd like to see a lot more of it come back again. You have some of the most influential restaurants in Australia's culinary history. This connection that you fostered with uh, producers, did that change the way that you cooked and what you served in restaurants over the years? Yeah, I think so. I, look, you know, you, you only have to look at the way that, um, you know, branding came along. And, um, and you know, we never, ever, you know, 25 years ago when I – well, actually, I started cooking. Can you believe 37 years ago? You know, <laughs> I, I try to tell people I was only two, but I wasn't. Um, you know, and, you know, back in those days when we started, you know, we had beef fillet, we had, you know, wh whatever we used, it was just called, you know, chicken breast, chicken thigh, whatever it was, you know, pork rack, whatever. It was never known as anything but that. And I think, you know, everyone started realising that, wow, you know what, if I brand my product and, you know, and it's a bloody good product, everyone's going to know it and they'll recognise it when they go to these restaurants. And I think restaurants and chefs were obliged to actually promote it. And I think Neil has been a, a, a very um, big supporter in this is where, you know, you look at people like David Blackmore Wagyu and, you know, and, and, and Sher Wagyu and whatever it was, you know, you put it on your menu, people identify it with, with it too straight away and they, they go, right, well, you know, there's – there's, uh, you know, David Blackmore's Wagyu. I know, I know that name. I know it's won lots of awards, and I know it's going to be amazing. So I, I want to buy that, um, you know. Or even back in the days when I was working for Stefano Manfredi at the the restaurant, you know, we used to use Ilibo lamb. And I don't know whether you remember that, but it was a, a little sucker lamb that you know became really famous back in those days. So you know, I, I think that the branding of people's own um, product and and the restaurants. Um, showcasing and made a massive difference, um, you know, and, and even now, you know, you've got your Bandara pork and, and all that sort of stuff and and uh, people I just identify with it and they know that it's going to be really good so that's what they want to eat. I know I do, you know, you see Rangers Valley or you see Cape Grim or, you know, um, O'Connor um, beef, you know, from Victoria. You know straight away that there's a certain a – certain, um, uh, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. You know, it's a certain quality of it, mm, which I think is important. You've introduced uh, pigs to the farm. T tell us about the decision to make to do that, and and what was it like in the early days, mate? It, it's still early days, to be honest. Um, it really is. You know, we're we're just sort of we had some old silage pits. And, you know, I said to my dad one day, I said, geez, Dad, if we cover those silage pits, you know, that'd make a great pig sty. <laughs> and he said, well, how far do you want to go with it? And, and I said, look, I, I want to go as far as I possibly can. Look, we're only the tip of an iceberg. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do more and more. And, you know, we talk about rare breeds of pigs and, you know, how rare breeds nearly went. 
um, and when he, you know, he wiped off the face of the earth, and the reason being is because they're 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 fattier, they're a bit slower growing, or they're a lot slower growing actually, and uh, and you know it's not really commercial because you've got these pigs that grow slower, they don't grow as quick as a as a white, and uh, you know you can produce more of the whites and, and fatten them up quicker and and obviously make some money. And I just love the look of a, of a beautiful Berkshire. And I said to Dad, you know, let's get six sows and we got a boar. Um, and we made our mistakes. You know, we got the boar so fat that he couldn't even mount the bloody <laughs> – it was too funny. It's just like the poor old bastard couldn't get on him. And um, so, you know, I had to get rid of him and uh, and then you had to get a, a, another one and then the sows got big and – and we're, we're learning as we go. Um, I've got a heap of little ones. I've got about 30 little ones running around at the moment. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try and get the, the males out for Christmas and, and do little sucklings. And then the females will grow out a little bit and, and serve that in the restaurants um, and probably make some salami and some prosciutto. We've been making salami for Chop House um, and branding it. And, and it's been, look, it's been a lot of fun, but I'm learning a lot about it. Um, and I've got a little bit of country there for them that, you know, I want them, want them to be more free range than what they probably are at the moment. But I'll, I'm waiting for, um, I'm waiting for my guy to start and, and making sure. But look, you know, I, I love a pig as an animal. I think they're super intelligent. Um, they're bloody cute. And, uh, you know, they're pretty easy to handle. They've got their own personality. You know, I've got these three sows that now that have got the, the little ones and, um, you know, we had them since they were tiny little ones. We get them out near Forbes, and there's a, a champion guy there that that um, you know wins all the all the shows every year, and got a pretty good relationship with him. So you know, we buy buy a few through him, and we'll start breeding our own and just get more balls as we go along. You know, I don't want too many, but I'd like to see them probably you know fifty to to eighty. You know, sort of sort of you know maybe fifty sows. You know, see how I go. Um, and if you breed them twice a year. You know, you can get 16, 16 um, off, off each each sow and, you know, if you've got 50 of them, you know, that, that's, that's about 800 pigs. <laughs> so, you know, have a bit of fun. But yeah, I've got to find a market for them too because they're, they're not cheap to breed and, um, you know, and they've got a lot of fat on them, you know, because they're, they're 100% Berkshire and, you know, they, they take a little bit longer to fatten up but they're, they get a lot bigger and they've got a much more um, fat on them. So a lot of people don't want them, you know. They, they think that they're too fatty. But the, the flavour of them, oh, it's just so bloody good. It is so good. I just love it. Tell us about the environment that uh, they live in and, and the region. Why, why is it so good for Berkshire pigs? Oh, look, you know, the, the, where, where <laughs> the way that Dad did the silos, the pits, he, he covered them all up and we concreted them all. They've all got their own little water supplies. And the idea is, you know, we leave them in their, their stores, you know, and we've got, um, we've got you know, obviously their, their nesting thing that we put in there, a bit of hay and stuff that they, they sit on lie on. But then we let them out and pasture during the day. So they can go down to the dam and and, uh, and they can wallow around and have a bit of fun. Um, but obviously where we are at the moment, you've never seen a season like this one or the one before. You know, I've got grass nearly up to your bloody chin. It's um, it's just unbelievable. We have, we've had... We've had about 56 inches of rain this year so far and we average around – we're high rainfall and high rainfall is, is around 32 to 34 and uh, it's just – we had seven inches in the last three weeks, can you believe? And uh, you can't get around the property and it's just grass has gone nuts. So we're, we're going to cut a bit of hay and, 
and store that. And, and um, you know, I've got three or four little paddocks near the house, or not too close to the house, where I've got the pigs. And, and you know, you, you let pigs, you know, sort of get out and explore a little bit and they love the green grass and, and then they go back in at night. Um, they're locked up at the moment. The little ones are only about two weeks old, two and a bit weeks old. And I'm just worried, conscious that they'll get through the fence, and you know, then they'll they'll join the the wild bush horses, you know, and, <laughs> and start mating with them. So we've sort of got them until they get a little bit bigger. They grow so bloody quick, though. They double in size in a week at the moment. It's in, insane, um, and they're so inquisitive. You know, I was in there the other day. I did a little launch with the deputy premier up there about um, getting school kids to go and uh, pick fruit for the summer rather than having having sitting around on the beach. You know, we call it you know, the gap year. Go and pick. And uh, and he he got into the store with me, and the the sows know me because I've known them since I was little, and you know I sort of give them a scratch and they try and push me over, and the three of them used to gang up on me when they were little, and uh, one would get behind my legs and they'd try and knock me over. It's quite funny actually, and he picked up one of the pigs and it squealed like anything. And the mum went him. Oh God, I, I thought he he thought he was going to get eaten for a second. <laughs> But, yeah, they're just great animals. It's just diversifying a little bit, you know. I don't think there's going to be much money in it, but I, I just love them and I, I like looking at them. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot cleaner animal than people think they are. You know, they're, they're, they're free range. They're, they don't stink that much. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of fun. You know, oh, I actually want to start doing um, some eggs too and uh, having free range eggs because so, I've, got, I've got the perfect market to sell them and that's back to myself. <laughs> What sort of impact has this uh, greater connection with the farm had on you in the last in the last couple of years? Oh, look, I've always loved the farm, you know, and anyone that knows me knows that. Um, you know, as um, my partner always says, the minute I go through that gate, I'm a different different Matt Moran. You know, it just seems everything sort of, you know, there's no weight on the shoulders anymore, and it's 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 a different Matt. You know, it's it's farmer Matt, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I just, I just love it, and I love the connection with the land, and I, I love farmers, and I, you know, I love space, and and you know, I love my animals, and I, I think with anything that you're breeding, you know, whether it's you know lamb or or, or beef or, or pigs, you know, the the more you look after them, um, the more that you always keep them moving forward. And what I mean by that is, you know, any any animal that is going on a trajectory that is getting bigger and fatter um, and happier. Um, it, it's better meat. If you let your, your cattle, you know, go backwards for a month, you'll never get them back again. And it's just, it's just, you know, and this, my father's always told me this and I've learned from that, you know, is that you, you never overstock. Um, you always make sure you've got plenty of feed. Um, if it does go dry, you've got enough hay. And if you don't, you get rid of them while they're fat and you don't let them, you know. Um, I see some farmers around the country and around the area that, you know, when they go a bit dry and, and they don't have as much feed, and you can see that their their animals lose condition. You, you just don't you don't see them ever come back from that. So the trajectory always should be you know moving forward and not going backwards. And you know I love that part of that, and and you know I love my animals, and I love my my, my farm just in general. You know I've just I've just put these eight big beds in. I'm going to start doing veggie gardens, uh, veggies up there. But also I'm thinking of doing a little market garden up there. I've got a girl that I've met who used to work for the guy that used to grow all the cauliflowers and the cabbages down the road, and she grows flowers at the moment. She's very passionate, and she's contacted me, and I said, look, you know this is what I want to do. I want to start growing some veggies for the for the pub and even for the restaurants. And she's like, I'm I'm up for it. So we can get a little bit of irrigation down there too because it's near the creek and I've got heaps of water. So, yeah, have a bit of fun, a bit of ball. As a chef, what's important 
to you in a pig for, for cooking? Uh, look, it's, um, you know, it's all about the, the, the breed I think is really important. Um, and I think the, the, the fattening of it is really important. The butchery is, is really important. And, um, you know, putting a, I don't mind putting a little bit of age on, on pig. If you go, if you go into America and Europe, they, they age their pig for a couple of weeks and, um, and it just develops a little bit more flavor. And, you know, I, I think, the, the, the fat content is always, always key. If you're going to have a skinny, runty pig, it's going to eat tough and horrible. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I had some people, and I, I don't know whether people, uh, look, you've got foodies listening to you, so it'll be all right. So, you know, the other day I had a heap of people come up to the farm and they were saying, because we haven't started renovating the pub yet, but I've got nine rooms up there, with, and they've all got their own bathrooms, and, and I've had a few people come down and stay with me, and, and uh, they all really wanted to, to see the little ones. So I, I went out there and I showed them the little ones, and, uh, you know, they were having a, a great time and loved them. And we get back to the pub, and they say, so, so what are you cooking for dinner tonight? And I said, oh, I thought we'd have an, an ode to the to the Berkshire, so I've got a roll porchetta. <laughs> Should have seen their faces. <laughs> but, you know, once I started cooking it, you know, and the, the thing is with, with uh, porchetta, which is basically the belly which has been rolled up, is, you know, having heaps of flavour in there, a bit of stuffing, um, you know, lots of salt and, and sage and thyme and, and rolling in, in salt and hitting it with it and making sure it's nice and crispy. And uh, I think it was on my Instagram the other day. Someone put it up. But, yeah, it's just it's, – it's about pig. You can either cook it slow and then heat it really hot at the end and get the crispiness or you get it really crispy and slow it down and cook it really slow. Um, but you need that hot heat to get that beautiful crispy skin. That's really important. You mentioned you've been making charcuterie uh, for the Chop House. So what's been some of the successes there and challenges of making great charcuterie? Yeah, look, it, it's all about the fat and fat content and how much you get and, and good quality of it. And uh, we've been doing conjunction with a, with a guy. And Laura, uh, who you know, Laura used to be the head chef at um, Chiswick and, and the Art Gallery and, and, uh, and Opera Bar. She's now um, – she's my sort of group chef. So she's been with me over 14 years. And she's in the office with me and she sort of controls all the chefs and talks to them and does all the menus. And, and uh, you know, she's this fair-headed, curly-haired girl um, who is a, is a full-on Italian and, you know, her, both her parents are from, from Italy and uh, they came out here when they were young. And the father is a concreter. <laughs> and um, they grew up near Brinjelli out that way, London. They've still got a little bit of land there. And he makes his, his uh, salamis every year and they get their own pig and they, they do it. And so Laura's a bit of an expert on it. So I said, Laura, you know, let's, let's do it. So we've gone in conjunction with a, a bigger guy who can do the, the quantities of it and our own recipes and she goes in there and helps. And, and it's been fantastic. People at Chop House love it, um, but I'm just about out. So I've got to, I've got to get back in there and, and get a couple of, I've got a couple of older sows that I'm going to, that uh, I'm going to transfer and, and do some prosciutto and, and, um, and cheddar and, and then the rest into salami. Might have used the mids actually, and uh, and special them somewhere, maybe Chiswick, I'd say. You mentioned pork belly with the porchetta. Is, is there any sort of um, secondary cut that you like in in uh, the pig? And is there a way that you can tell us that you love cooking? Yeah, mate. The, the, there's no question. One of my favourite things to do at Christmas time is what they call the Boston butt, and um, and uh, Carmichael used to do it at. Um, and I think uh, um, Ben Greeno used to do it too, which was the, the bottom butt, which is the square of the shoulder. 
So you hear Boston, but you think straight away it's going to be the ass, but it's not. It's um, it's actually the square of the shoulder, and uh, and you know slow cooked, and and you can pull, you know, like pulled pork. Um, or what I even do is I brine it um, for Christmas every year and uh, and leave the skin on and then let it dry out as much as I possibly can. I just roast it like a, a brined a brined you know roast pork, and it is just the best cut. And the reason being is because same with lamb. Like lamb shoulder is much better than leg because it's it's not as lean. It's got that beautiful fat all the way through it. And same with pork. Um, you know, you slow cook it enough and then crisp it up and get that beautiful crusty, um, crispy bit on the on the outside. But it's got beautiful fat content in it, much more than the leg. And um, and yeah, I think it's definitely my my favourite. The great thing about Christmas time is, you know, I do always do a turkey, I always do a ham, I always do a um, a, uh, a a goose that Maggie Beard generally gives me, and um, and I always do a, a bit of roast pork and and all the leftovers. Like it's so much food, there's no way we can eat it on Christmas Day. But what it does do, it gives you food for between Christmas and New Year for leftovers. You know, with the pork, you can you can pull it and make tacos. The the ham, you can make croque monsieur's. The turkey, you make sandwiches. Um, there's never any goose left because my kids love it. Um, but you know that that feeds the family for a week. Um, you know that then that's that's the best thing I love about Christmas. So I love cooking Christmas Christmas Day too. Well, you mentioned that the ham, which is very popular, and we're almost at Christmas as well. Is there anything special that you do with a ham? Oh, mate, uh, I I I I've just done um, an episode of Kitchen Tales or a Christmas special, um, which will come out. Uh, you know, just before Christmas, and I did, um, I, I did some sort of finger food, um, you know, skewers with Kate Waterhouse, you know, because she's always going to Christmas parties. Um, I did seafood with Katie Gibbs, and I got Simon Sandal, who uh, you know worked for me for seventeen years, and one of my dear friends. I just love that boy, and um, and he, we did the traditional. Him being English. And uh, and I've had so many Christmases with him, you know, when we worked together at Aria, and you know, we'd do the hams for um, all my close friends and family. So we'd end up doing about ten hams and giving them away. Give them away. And um, my brother-in-law, who's Canadian, uh, gave me a and he's a big foodie, massive foodies. He's um, he he loves to cook, and he gave me this recipe, and it's, it's mustards and it's cider vinegar and and brown sugar and and real maple syrup and you, and you cook it down um, and you use that as a glaze and you, you score it, you put your, your cloves in and um, and then just let it bake and, and caramelise and it's just the best. So I've, I've got one coming up on Kitchen Tales, which Simon and I did, and it was just, oh, God, it was a bloody good ham. And that's the key. That's the key to a ham is, you know, go to your butcher and, and find the best leg you can with as much fat in it as possible and, uh, and you know, and... You know, you always you, you want to eat that fat. You know, that's just the best part of the ham, and and make sure you don't overcook it so it's not too dry. Really important. You mentioned you've been cooking for thirty-seven years. I didn't mean to bring it up again, but a lot's, <laughs> a lot, a lot's changed over that time. Um, 
and particularly in the last year and a half, has been challenging. But what, what, what's the opportunities now for hospitality as everything's opening up? Are you looking at your businesses differently? Yeah, look, we, we are. Look, and to be honest, we, we've got a real issue with staff at the moment, like everyone else. You know, we, we don't have enough staff. We still have an open capacity um, at all, nowhere near it, um, because, you know, no restaurants open seven days yet. Aria is only open four days at the moment because it's, we're finding it really tough to find staff. Um, we need, obviously, the government to sort of help us out and let um, the visa guys back in because they're the nuts and bolts of the of the of the workforce and hospitality, as anyone will tell you. Um, you know, we're looking at our, our businesses differently as to where we can minimise our cost, um, but also at the same time, you know, we've got to be aware that we're still in a in an industry that's very competitive. And, um, you know, we're, we're just sort of slowly treading water and, and trying to do as much as we possibly can and not open too much and, and let it be seen that, you know, we don't have enough staff on the floor or, the you know, not enough staff in the kitchen and you can see tell by the food. So we're, we're being very conscious of that and very careful of that. Um, but, you know, I think everyone is and, you know, everyone's obviously still scared of what might happen, you know, even though it doesn't look as though anything will come back and it looks as though that we're going to be open um, normally by, by Christmas time and hopefully we can go to other states, um, probably not WA, um, but everywhere else. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? Anyway, let's not get into, let's not get into politics. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that, we're, we're, yeah, we are, and I think it's probably made me look at different stuff, you know, hence why I've been at the farm a little bit more and doing a country mm. place and, you know, it's a... I want to sort of, you know, be part of that, bringing that town back to life, I think, and having a bit of fun at the same time. Having fun, I want to have fun, you know. Um, you know, if someone asked me 10 years ago, I'd say that I want 50 restaurants, you know, now I'm pretty I'm pretty happy, you know, I'm pretty content. Uh, you know, I say that, but, you know, I'll probably do something next year again or whatever, you know. But I'm, I, feel, I feel a lot more content. You mentioned that um, with the pigs, you've got a pipe to market with your own restaurants. Will there, will there be a real connection with your brigades and, and the farm and, and bringing them into that story? Yeah, look, you know, with, with the with the pub that I'm opening, because long term it's going to have a restaurant, a bar, a pub food, um, and I want to build a bakery and um, and have more accommodation there. I've actually I've actually been really lucky. So I've actually bought the neighbours. I bought two of the neighbours and. Uh, and I've got two blocks behind the pub, so I've got an acre and a half now. I've got six over six thousand square meters, and uh, the first stage is only going to be the restaurant, the the pub, the beer garden, and some accommodation upstairs, nine rooms. But then long term, I'm going to put like fourteen luxury cabins on it up the back, overlooking the pub. And then uh, I want to build a bakery, no question, do a bit of wholesale out there. You know, country bakeries, you know. If you get known for a good country bakery, people come from everywhere, you know. Great vanilla slice, great sausage roll, um, you know, and uh, and become notorious for it and, and make some good bread. And then little – there's no general store in the town, so the town can't even go and, you know, get milk. You know, they've got to travel 35, 40 minutes to go and get something. And I'm just thinking that's just – and it, it used to it used to have one. But, you know, it, it's just it obviously the, the market wasn't there. But if I can connect other things to it, like a bakery and a, and a pub, and uh, and if we're there, well, stuff, why can't we just have a general store that, you know, and not, not gouge from it and just do it as a community thing? And, you know, they wouldn't pay any more in town as what they will at my place. And it just sort of, you know, it means that the town can sort of, survive a little bit and people go wow you know what you know there's that there and that there now maybe i'll buy a little 
block of land in there and build a house and bring it back together. There's only 200 people who live in the town. There used to be there used to be 3,000 during the gold rush. So you know why not bring it back a little bit rather than dying and, and be a service to and but not rip people off. You know, it's it's also fun too. I want to have some fun out there. I really do. Well, Matt, it's always fun catching up with you, and I know you're incredibly busy with all of the things you're doing. But we loved having you on the Crackling today to hear your story. Good luck with the um, foray into pig farming, and um, we'll keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. Definitely, mate. You take care. This is the Crackling, a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstart. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.